0: Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice, and let the people sing praises,
1: My son Luke, he, what do he do? He reads Mandarin, he speaks Mandarin, he reads books about politics in China in Mandarin. That's just a gift that God gave him as a genius that he can do that. So we all have different gifts. So the poor in spirit isn't so much like you're just a worthless human being because all we talk about the value of all life. The value of all life is the value of all life. That's why we're profoundly pro-life for all life from the womb to the tomb to invalid and to mentally handicapped. Like All life matters because there's value in all life. So because we're creating God's image, we're not going to say that someone's poor in spirit that way because humanity is made in the image of God and God doesn't make mistakes. And even with the effects of sin on all creation and all humanity, every life has meaning and purpose. But the poor in spirit has the idea of the moral poverty or the inability to save oneself or to live a righteous life before God. That's why Jesus came. If we could be saved by righteousness, the law of God, we just did all this in Deuteronomy, we'd be saved by the law. The law is good but that we can't keep the law and curses everyone who can't keep the law. So the poor in spirit is is not an economic reflection nor is a reflection on human talents that God gives all of us that we all have in different capacities and different strains. The poor in spirit is moral and spiritual, that we're sinners and we're under the condemnation of sin for the wages of sin is death. We cannot save ourselves and that's what makes us poor in spirit. We have no inability to change and turn around our economic, spiritual standing with God. God sold the world he gave his son because we can't earn it. And if righteousness came through the flesh or our good works, then Christ died in vain, Galatians tells us, but he did not. So poor in spirit is we're, we're sinners and we need to be saved. We need to humble ourselves and receive Christ by grace. Poor in spirit is that we're broken. God resists just a prophet gives grace to the humble. And the poor in spirit are people who have been convicted by the Holy Spirit for their sin and they realize they need a savior, Jesus Christ. And I've said this before, with my church going background as a kid, I remember someone telling me that I had to be saved, and I was very offended by that statement. Nobody saves Joy Brand. You yeah, know, I'm Joy Brand. Joy Brand doesn't need to be saved. Well, you know, after I try to take my life, I'm in a straitjacket. I'm rethinking that thought, that theology. I think Joy Brand does need to be saved. And that was a process of realizing I need to be saved by grace. And when I gave my life to Christ in the spring of 87, I was telling everyone, I'm saved. I was proud of that statement in a good way. I'm saved. Yeah, I'm saved. You're like, what? I'm, like, I'm saved, man. We need to be saved. That's poor in spirit. When you realize Jesus is your Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. So poor in spirit is crucial because that's the first domino. God was just a prophet. his grace with the humble. The disciple has to be... You know, Sam's whole message the other night was about humility. It was such a good study on humility and the equity of humility. It was fantastic. And this is a reaffirmation. Poor in spirit is humble before God. Then, blessed are those who mourn. So there's a brokenness over our sin. You know, when you go to Harvest Crusade and you see 3,000 people go forward and you see people sobbing up front, that they're, they're mourning their sin. It's when you realize, like, wow, that was... You realize you were that was evil what you did when you left your spouse or you did this or you did that. You, that was, you, it's, you just realize like repentance. The Bible tells us godly sorrow is a good sorrow. There's a worldly sorrow. Like I'm sorry I got caught and I'm, I'm in you know, Leavenworth doing 15 years for armed robbery. I'm sorry I got caught. That's not the same. The mourning is this, uh, is a sorrow of the sin itself like, before God, and its effect on you and other people. It's a mourning. It's a brokenness. It's like David in Psalm 51. He's broken. In one of the earlier Psalms in the 30s, he said, my bones rotted within me until I made it right with you. It's a mourning. We want to be mournful when God convicts us. We don't want to be defiant and defensive. We want to be like, I'm so sorry before the Lord and people you've hurt, for they, they shall be comforted. So, THERE'S THE KINGDOM. SO WITHOUT HUMILITY AND BEING SAVED BY GRACE, THERE'S NO KINGDOM. AND WITHOUT THE, YOU KNOW, YOU HAVE THAT MOURNING, THAT BROKENNESS FOR SIN, THEN THERE'S COMFORT BECAUSE GOD COMFORTS US. THE GOD OF ALL COMFORT COMFORTS US. THEN BLESSED ARE THE MEEK, FOR THEY SHALL INHERIT THE EARTH. AND THE the MEEK IS is POWER UNDER CONTROL. IT'S NOT TO BE CONFUSED WITH WEAK. WE OFTEN CONFUSE MEEKNESS WITH WEAKNESS. MEEK IS uh, FOR THOSE PEOPLE THAT ARE OLDER. IT'S IT'S KUNG FU, MAN. It's the Kung Fu TV show. It was my favorite, one of my favorite shows as a kid. He was always his power. And he, he was always the baddest dude in the bar. And the cowboys, like, I'm talking to you, China man. You know, and, and he'd, like, he, he'd be like, oh, so sorry. But once they touched him, remember the music they could play? Whether it was Apache Indians or cowboys that were drunk, he's like, oh, he'd go all Kung Fu and wipe them out. That's meekness. It's power under control. But that's, it's the idea of power under control. It's like when you do martial arts, you know you're not out there trying to bust people up. You just know that you have all this power, and you know how to dis- disengage something or you know, de-escalate it. That's what that is. It's, it's, it's power under control. So for us, followers of Christ, the meekness is that we have this, the Spirit of God within us. Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. And one spirit-filled woman can change an entire situation for planet Earth, as can one spirit-filled man. It's his power. It's, the power. it's God's power within us. It's the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, guidance for the situation. We're, to, we're meant to be spirit-led and spirit-directed in all things. That's why I said, when they bring you before councils, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you those words that very moment. That's meekness. Like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to say? And then, like, all of a sudden, the Lord just gives it to you. Because it's not us. It's he that's in us. In our weakness, his strength is manifested. So our meekness is that all the power of heaven and all the purposes of God are are right there in our life at any given time to guide us in each and everything. And we can surrender what seem to be our rights in a given situation because in the end, Christ has it all under control and he's going to bring us through it and he's going to glorify himself in it. That's meekness. Power under control. You just walk away. You just walk away. There's a lot of stuff we have to walk away from. God knows. There's no injustice in time, says matter. It doesn't get fixed in eternity in our lives. So the meek shall inherit the earth. Just let it go because the whole earth is yours. It's like when Lot says, This is my, I want the best land, and Abraham's like, Go for it. And God says, You can give him Solomon Gomorrah. I'm giving you everything north, south, east, and west. It's all yours. That's meekness. You just let it go and know that God's got something better. It's, it's that power of authority of heaven and all the things that you have. You just let it go and you're going to inherit the earth. Thus are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. People hunger and thirst for a lot of things. Those are driving forces. The You know, the, some of the basic drives. Air, water, food. It's one, two, three. Those are one, two, and three. And so... Jesus said, what? He's the living water. Jesus is the bread of life. The whole idea is that we have physical drives that God gives us to teach us spiritual drives, the things that really matter. And God wants us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus wants us to hunger for the kingdom of God and the character of God as much as we hunger for good food and all this kind of stuff. When I go to Vero Beach, I like to go to uh, the place called Sid's down there by the beach, and they have just the best tacos. You get vegetarian tacos or vegan tacos, and they get this orange slush. They put the little soft vanilla ice cream in there. It's like a Goodyear bar back in the days. Oh man, it's so good! It's actually good when you're with your grandkids too. That's really that. really makes it the best, right? It's like oh man, when I get to Florida, it's the first thing I do. It's the last thing I do. My son-in-law Nate's the same way though. I can tell you what Nate Gallagher does. First thing he does when he gets to California, he goes in and out. I'm like, it's, he goes in and out. And what's the last thing he does? He goes in and out. He gets in and out on the way down from LAX, he gets in and out on the way back to LAX, and he might get in and out in between. It's like, it's this whole thing, right? And that's how we get. Well, that's how we're to be for the spiritual things. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. We hunger to grow in God's word. We hunger to grow in God's character and to be know more about Jesus and to be transformed to his image and glory, as Paul said to the Philippians, and just become more confident in our calling because it are out with him. Then he says in verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. We know also the promise that the one who shows mercy will find mercy. So that universal principle of sowing and reaping. So mercy is not getting back at somebody. Grace is getting the gift just because you get the gift, but mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve. So when you show mercy, you are not executing wrath and punishment on someone that they deserve. For we're told the wrath of man produces not the righteousness of God. So when we show mercy, we're like, you know what? Just we're gonna, we're gonna. It's all, it's all good. Let it go. It's a little different in meekness. It's that you have the ability to do this, but you, you don't get back at it. You, you just again, it's, it's really, it's letting go. It's not. It's where you have the power and the means by which to enforce and inflict a retribution or repercussion on someone that's justified. But you don't do it, and that's mercy. But we know from King David, he learned that if he showed mercy, God gave him mercy. Which is a really good reason why you want to show mercy when you, that rather than getting even or something. When you show someone's mercy, you're, it's like you're, the mercy you're showing them, you're just putting that equity in your account with God that you're going to get mercy later on. And there's another thing you figure out when you get older is you learn the principles of sowing and reaping. And I can assure you, as sure as gravity runs this universe, mercy shown will be mercy. uh, You showing mercy will be mercy received by you from the Lord to you. David showed great mercy, and he found great mercy. And it's a promise in the Bible: if you sow mercy with the merciful, I'll show myself merciful. Is what God says. That's a promise. And so here, too, that the merciful shall obtain mercy. So just take a deep breath, let it go, and realize the objective isn't that God shows you mercy, but the end result is he will show you mercy. When it's all said and done, when the dimensions merge, all the mercy you've shown will be shown to you. Blessed are the pure in heart, verse 8, for they shall see God. No agenda, no skewed thing. No, like, no agenda. Just straight up, sincere, honest. There's no skewed shadow of turning, as the Bible talks about. People have shadows of turning. Sometimes you, you don't know their agenda. You try and take everyone at face value. And as Pastor Chuck used to say, burn me once, that's on you. Burn me twice, it's on me. And there are people that just they just, they always have an agenda. You can't go through life and have people like, they just always have an agenda. Don't have an agenda. We're not trying to take something from, from somebody. People aren't consumers that we can consume from and make a profit from in that sense. Jesus, If you're really good in business in Jesus' name, it's because you provide a service. You serve people and you provide a service and you're blessed for being a servant. But if you take from people, can you see them as consumers? It's not going to be a good ending. So the pure in heart has the idea that like we, we just our eye is good, our perspective is good. Our attitude is good. We think the best. We hope the best. We don't have like a skewed, perverse joke in our mind when someone says this, we think that. Now, if you live in the world for a long time, you might have it. And that's why you need to take that thought captive to the Lord and say, that's, why am I thinking like that? That's evil. I don't want to think like that. That's evil. That's vulgar. I, that's, I, I want the best for this person. That's how we need to think. Pure in heart. There's not... The heart's not defiled by greed and lust and all these things. And we'll we'll get to that in another, on another night. Blessed are the peacemakers, verse nine, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. So the first part of these beatitudes are very vertical with God. And you talk about loving the Lord with the God, the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, then your neighbors, yourself. So these are, these are, you know, some of this is vertical, right? The, the, Poor in spirits, vertical. Those who mourn is vertical. Then meek is a result of that. And then hungry and thirsty for righteousness, that's, that's vertical. And then merciful is now horizontal with people. Pure in heart, how we see people. And now peacemakers, how we treat people. We want to be peacemakers. In a world of conflict, we want to do our best to bring people to res- restitution and reconciliation with God. We want to bring people together. We really want, you know, when your memorial's done and people are talking after your, a service to honor your life, you want those people saying that you were a good man, you are a good woman, and you brought people together. You weren't catty, you weren't divisive, you weren't super opinionated, so opinionated you couldn't filter your thoughts and bring people together and work together in a collaborative way. We want to be peacemakers. We want to, we want to bring peace together. One of the things that made Billy Graham so amazing in his ministry is he's such a peacemaker. When he went to Russia during the Iron Curtain time, just amazing. Like, he was so attacked by the American church and a lot of people. But there he was with, uh, I think it was Gorbachev, but in all the Russian Orthodox churches and uh, the underground churches. And he's just trying to bring people together in Jesus' name. He was, he was trying to bring people together. Billy Graham was often attacked that he worked with liberal churches as well as conservative or what was then fundamental churches in his time. And He's just, he says, well, if the liberals get saved at my crusades, that's great, you know, that's awesome. But he's always trying to bring people together. I feel like Franklin Graham's much the same way. I think he does a lot of things to serve communities. He goes to New York City during COVID-19. Is he there to divide people or is he there to serve people and bring them together? He was there to bless people and serve them. Now, people attacked him who hate him and what he stands for as a Christian. That's the latter part of these beatitudes, but he was there with good, good things, good reasons peacemaker Christ is for humanity this is one of the challenges we've had in the last year and a half with COVID and how it's divided the church and divided the church from the world and divided church within themselves and divided the world from the world it's been very divisive on all fronts in the human experience and as it says in the Bible as much is up to you live peaceably with all men and where I can find peace and civility with other people I want to in Jesus name so long as it's not capitulating the gospel, because that's why we mourn, is we repent of our sins. That's why we're poor in spirit. This is the gospel. So we're not surrendering the gospel. We're not surrendering the word of God. But how we can work with other people is a is a good thing. I want to I be a peacemaker. I really do. And I think you do, too. When I step into eternity, I don't want the Lord to say, you know, like, Man, I wanted to use you to bring people together, but you're always stirring things up. You always had to just say the last, you always had to get the last word in. You always had to say something that had nothing to do with my Bible, but from someone you listened to on the radio. Like you always just got worked up. And you would move from me to them. And we, we just you were right there with the relatives. And then you just had to go, you had to go there. I told you, don't go there. Here's the replay. Here it is, the Lamb's Book of Life. I'll show it to you. I told you, don't go there. Right there, I'm telling you, don't go there, don't say that. And you pause, and then you still did, because you had to be right with your relatives It didn't do anything good except wreck the holiday dinner. You pick your battles. We've learned that. Jesus, he was crucified, capital punishment for claiming to be God because he is God. But they could not bring an accusation against him as a criminal, a criminal charge. And even, even Pilate knew that. Then it says, uh, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, there's persecution that comes from righteousness. So, isn't it funny or interesting, peculiar funny? Right after being a peacemaker, there's persecution for righteousness' sake. So, on one hand, trying to be a peacemaker, like, ah, Jesus, you know, let the little children come to me. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. And then there's people who don't want peace with us at all. They want to burn us at the stake. That's 2,000 years of church history. They want to crush us. They don't want us to have access to the marketplace of thought, they don't want us to exchange ideas. They they don't want us to be able to share what the Word of God says about social issues that are truly biblical, moral issues. So they persecute us for righteousness sake. Just make sure we're persecuted. It is for righteousness sake. Because we all get persecuted. If there's false accusations against you, which this text goes on to say, we want them to be false accusations. And it's painful when there's some truthful accusations mis- mixed with persecution. That's the hardest one. Because if you're just messed up, it's like you just messed up. But sometimes you are persecuted, but you messed up while you're persecuted. So that's like a really, that's a, it's, it doesn't feel good. I had some of that. I know what that feels like, where there's validity to what you're being attacked for, but in the end, you're still being attacked because of righteousness sake. But you gave them something they could use to really come after you but they're really not coming after you because of that. They're coming after you because of righteousness sake. So the more that you can just be above reproach and be attacked for righteousness sake, the better for us and the better for the day of the Lord. There is true righteousness, we know that. Verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So false accusations for Jesus sake. Being attacked for Jesus. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward. So how happy you are, you're rejoicing and you're glad because your reward is in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we're persecuted for Jesus' namesake, there's reward for us in heaven for that. And the type of persecution we've seen against the Church of Jesus Christ in the last 20 years building in our country and worldwide, but in the end, let God be true in a man and liar. Jesus is the Son of God. He did fulfill scripture. He did die on the cross and rise from the grave. He did appear to the disciples. He did ascend into heaven at the right hand of the Father. He does ever live in your seat for us. And he is coming again. And there are absolute truths and absolute falsehoods. And there's light and there's darkness. And that's not going to change. So there's going to always be persecution against that. Cain killed Abel. Abel was of faith. The blood of the Lamb walked in life. Cain The flesh, the the vegetables of the land, no faith. And God said, if you repent, you'll be fine. But he wouldn't. He, He attacked Abel. And this is what's gone on in human history to this very day on this planet. This is what's gone on. And we're going to be persecuted. And you should be persecuted. If you're not persecuted, that's a concern for you and me. Because if we're not persecuted, that means maybe that light's not shining. The way it should be. Because Jesus says, you will be persecuted. So for his disciples, there's going to be times where we're attacked. You ever been at work and you're like, why are they attacking me like this? Or you're applying for a job, but you said something about Jesus? I spoke to one of our congregants not long ago, and they were working at a a well known corporation in Southern California, and they were trying to transfer to a job within the company uh, horizontally, but a more favorable job for them. And they were doing the interview, and then the person interviewed said, Are you a Christian? And they said yes, and they didn't get the job. You know, I'm pretty sure it's against the law to ask someone their religious beliefs and have that be an effect on you getting the job or not. But when you're being persecuted, the persecutors don't care. So when they ask you if you're a Christian, make sure you say yes, if you are. Or like Rachel did, you know, at Columbine, are you a follower of Jesus? Yes. And if they take your life, they take your life. But you want to make sure that you're confessing Christ before men. And you don't shrink back from that moment. Because great and exceedingly great is your reward in heaven. Driving around Aurora and Littleton, Colorado, how can you not think of Columbine, 1999? Think of Rachel and her faith and those parents letting go of their daughter. But how proud could you be? Of all things you can be proud of your daughters for, what would make you more proud than your teenage daughter having a gun to her head, being asked if she's a Christian and having the faith and the courage to say yes? Yes. The book's long gone. No one reads it anymore. It's been 20 years and you miss your daughter. But she fulfilled her purpose. And is there a better way to go than that? That's martyrdom. That's persecution. That's the faithful witness. Witness, martus, means witness. And it means living for Christ and if necessary, dying for Christ. These are the Beatitudes these are the attitudes, this is the worldview we're meant to have, and this is the foundation of everything that comes next in the Sermon on the Mount. This is our worldview. This is who we are as disciple of Jesus Christ. There's other things coming, you're like, how can I forgive my enemies? How can I walk two miles when they force me to? You know, <laughs> when they force me to walk a mile, how can I really say no? I on no, that I'll take trash out. I'll take out his trash too. Like, there's there's other stuff coming. It's kind of like if you can't hang with the foot soldiers, how are you going to run with the horsemen? There's more coming in the storm of the mount that's far more challenging than this. So this is a reminder tonight to all of us: this who we're meant to be in every generation, the Church of Jesus Christ, from the time of Caesar Nero the time of who we are right now in July 2021. And this is our manifesto. This, this is our constitution with Jesus. So I'll read it one more time, and then we'll pray. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they, prosecuted, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you.